Dad? Dad? Hey, Dad. I want to be rich and good looking. I want to be rich and good looking. I'll need you to challenge me. I'll need you to challenge me. To be rich in good works. To be rich in good works. I'll be focused on building my career at all costs. I'll need you to show me how to put my family ahead of work. I'll seek my own comfort and joy. I'll seek my own comfort and joy. I need you to teach me to honor God. I'll need you to teach me to honor God with my time and resources. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll need you to show me how to speak the truth of love and love. I'll find myself watching to please the crowd. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll need you to remind me that I should obey God. That I should obey God. I'll look for happiness in many different places. I'll need you to show me that joy is found in following Christ. I want to treat girls how the world tells me to. I'll need you to show me how to honor them with all my actions. I'll find myself stuck in bad habits. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you, Dad. I'll need you, Dad. I need you, Dad. I need you, Dad. To point me toward Christ when no one else will. To point me to Christ when no one else will. Happy Father's Day, huh? Praise God. That is a great video. I really love that video. It was made by Igniter Media in Dallas, Texas. And I actually know two of the kids in that video. It's neat to see them uh, say, I need you, Dad. And I love that video specifically because it says, I will need you, te- God, I will need you, Dad, to teach me how to be rich in good works. As Scott read just a moment ago in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, specifically 8 to 10, we understand that we, it's in the front of your bulletin. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have been saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9. It's very clear to us that because of Christ, who lived in perfect obedience to our heavenly Father, he came to this earth and and walked among us and taught us and healed us, and then in perfect obedience to our heavenly Father, he died on a cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He became sin for us. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death so that we might have the assurance of eternal life, the gift of a new life, if we simply believe in him. But we weren't given this amazing grace simply to consume it. We're called to be instruments of grace, sharing that grace by doing the good works that we were created in Christ Jesus to do. Do you know what good works God has called you to today? We need our fathers. I I love if you continue to read Ephesians, you'll see that we as husbands and fathers are called to be spiritual leaders in our home. And I'm grateful that my own dad is here and how he helped teach me what it meant to do the good works of Christ by following the, the golden rule, treating others the way that we would want to be treated. Do you know what good works God is calling you to do? That's a role of a father, help teach the good works to our kids. But what if you didn't have a good father? Maybe your father was never home. He was an absent father. Maybe your father was an abusive father. Maybe your father wasn't a Christian, so he never taught you the good works. How are we to discover the good works that God has called us to do specifically? To find out, I would encourage you to turn to Esther. Esther chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. It may be found on page 522 of your pew Bible. 
As we continue our journey through the story, the grand narrative of Scripture, we find ourselves in the book of Esther. Esther was a a woman whose parents died when she was just a little girl, and so her older cousin Mordecai raised her as if she was his own daughter. And then by a hand, a move of God's amazing grace and providence, she becomes the queen of Persia. The Israelites are still living in exile at this time. Many of them are living in exile at this time under King Xerxes, one of the most powerful kings in the history of the world. And, and he chooses Esther, this Jewish woman, to become his bride, to become the queen. Well, now one of the men in, in Xerxes' uh, uh, area of power named Haman doesn't like the Jews. And so he has the king create a decree to kill all the Jews. And Xerxes doesn't know that Esther is a Jew. And so he agrees to this decree to have all the the Jews killed. And now the Jews are in great trouble of being destroyed. And so we pick up the story in Esther chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you so much for the people who put pen to paper so that we might have your written word today. Oh Lord, I pray that as we read your word, you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that might be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Esther chapter four, beginning at verse one, listen to the word of the Lord. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, what had been done was this decree was created to have all the Jews killed by Haman. Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and a bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in the front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. They told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews 
For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love that last verse. Then I will go to the king, though it against the law, and if I perish, I perish. What a courageous statement by Esther. She's not even afraid to die, knowing that by going to the king uninvited, she will probably perish. We were talking about Esther today because she was so courageous. In fact, the Jews still celebrate the holiday of Purim today to recognize the role that Esther played in helping free the Jews from certain destruction. But Esther wasn't always so brave, was she? Now, if we look at Esther's initial response to Mordecai's plea for her to speak up and to say something, we'll see that Esther wasn't always so courageous. Let's look again at verse 10 of our text. It says, Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. Instead of jumping at the chance to help her fellow Jews by speaking and making a plea to the king, immediately Esther recognizes that if I try to go just to the king uninvited, I'll probably be killed. And so in essence, she's telling Mordecai, Mordecai, I want to help, but could you find another plan? This isn't going to work exactly. Let's come up with a better idea. Have you ever wanted to help, but you haven't been willing to make a sacrifice? The other day I was uh, on the way to Sam's, and I was exiting uh, Ross and Osage to go to Sam's, and I was driving there, and I pulled over as I got to the far right lane. I saw that there was a man holding a cardboard sign that says, homeless, please help, God bless. And I could see that he was in the far left lane over there with the, under the uh, overpass there, underpass, overpass, and so he was sitting there, and, and I was thinking to myself, you know, there's some restaurants nearby, I could go and buy him some food, and I could bring him the food, because I learned, you know, from Matthew 25, uh, Jesus celebrates, he separates the sheep and the goats, you can read the parable later, he separates the sheep and the goats, and he honors the sheep by saying, when I was hungry, you gave me food, when I was naked, you clothed me, when I was homeless, you gave me shelter, and it's real clear that he, invi- he encourages people to give to meet specific needs. He never says, when I needed money, you gave me money. No, if we want to help people, the best thing we can do is to engage them in a relationship so that we might meet specific needs. I have found through my own past experiences that if I I simply give money, money, which is an easy thing to do, and it's the simple thing to do, that money can be used to enable bad habits we don't want to encourage. And so we're called to help meet those specific needs. Well, I'm thinking to myself, I could go to these restaurants nearby, and I could get them some food, and I can meet a specific need. But I'm over here in the right lane. He's over there on the left. And man, I got a lot to do. I got errands to run. Someone else will help. Never done that before, anybody? I'm the only one? Okay. <laughs> You've had your prayer of confession, right? You took prayer earlier? Yeah. 
We've all done that. I, I just assume that at some point we've wanted to help, but we haven't. We haven't been willing to, to make the sacrifice. Esther wants to help her people. She loves the Jews, but she's thinking to myself, if I speak up, one, I'm going to bring to the fact, to the reality that I'm a Jew, and Xerxes probably doesn't know that I'm a Jew, and I will probably be killed. I don't think I want to do this. This is not the time for me to speak up. Let's try something else. Can you imagine Esther's surprise when she receives word back from Mordecai, her older cousin, who has been like a father to her, who has raised her, who has always been encouraging and taught her the word of God and encouraged her the ways of God. When she sends this response, looking probably for a better answer, when she hears for the first time the words that Mordecai sends, we read them in verse 13. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Queen Esther knew that her husband, King Xerxes of Persia, did not know that she was a Jew. And she thought, if I say something, I'll certainly be killed. And so she looks to Mordecai to come up with a better idea, but he says, don't kid yourself. Just because you're a Jew in the palace doesn't mean you're going to escape certain death. This is not a time to be silent, Esther. You've got to speak up. Apathy. Inactivity is not an option. Reminds me of the story of, the, of Reverend Martin Niemöller, who wrote a powerful poem. Martin was a pastor in Germany during World War II, and like so many Germans, he initially supported Adolf Hitler as a Lutheran pastor. He was excited about the vision Adolf Hitler of, of, of making Germany great again. But as Adolf Hitler continued to move towards his vision of a superior Aryan race, Martin, like so many other pastors like Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany, realized that this was a very destructive vision. And so they created the Confessing Church Movement where they openly spoke out against Adolf Hitler. And so then Martin was immediately arrested and spent seven years in a concentration camp. And when he was finally released from the concentration camp by the Allied forces, he wrote this powerful poem First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. This past weekend, there was a horrible, horrible shooting at a gay bar last Sunday night at 2 a.m. in the morning, a radical Muslim opened fire and killed 49 people, injuring 53. I know all of our prayers have been with the city of Orlando. We prayed just a moment ago for Orlando. Violence is not the way of Christ. So as Christians, how should we respond as this community has been attacked? Well, I love the way one Chick-fil-A in Orlando responded. We've got a video we want to share with you about that. Chick-fil-A is usually closed on Sundays, but when employees at one of the chain's Orlando locations heard about the mass shooting at Pulse nightclub, they went into work anyway. The restaurant posted photos of the employees delivering food to people waiting in line to donate blood to the victims. The post said, we love our city and love the people in our community. Pray for Orlando. 
Many of the 49 killed and 53 wounded were members or allies of the LGBT community. The act of kindness followed several years of tension between the community and the restaurant chain. Chick-fil-A has faced backlash in recent years after its president spoke against gay marriage. In 2012, gay rights activists protested with a kiss-in. Chick-fil-A declined to comment, but a spokesperson for its Florida stores told Fox News, we are just honored to be one of many organizations that are helping our friends and neighbors in the Orlando community during this difficult time. For Newsium, Lauren Stevenson. I love Chick-fil-A. I actually worked at Chick-fil-A when I was a teenager. and I love their commitment not to be open on Sundays, but they saw an opportunity to do good on the Sabbath, which is what Jesus calls us to do, to do good on the Sabbath. Whenever a community is attacked, regardless of who that community might be, regardless of what they might be about, we, as the body of Christ, must be there to help minister to their needs, to love them with the unconditional, sacrificial love of Christ. As followers of Jesus, apathy, inactivity, is not an option for us. Jesus makes that very clear in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10 when there's a Pharisee who asks him about the law and he says, I know the most important commandment is to love God and to love our neighbor, but who's my neighbor exactly seeking to justify himself? So Jesus tells this parable, this powerful story about a man who was on the road and and while he was traveling, he was robbed and he was beaten and he was left half dead. And then a priest, a holy man of God, walks down the road and he sees the man who's been left half dead and rather than going to help him, he walks on the other side of the road so that he might avoid becoming unclean by touching another man's blood. Then a Levite the tribe of Levi that was commissioned by God to help lead the people of God in their worship and taking care of the tabernacle and the temple. A Levi is walking down that same road and he sees the man who's half dead, bleeding to death. And rather than helping him, he, like the priest, walks on the other side of the road. He doesn't want to get messy. And then Jesus tells the story that a Samaritan which was considered a half-breed heretic to first-century Jews in the first century. This Samaritan comes and he sees the man bleeding and dying and immediately he rushes to him and he binds the man's wounds and he puts him on his own donkey and he takes him to an inn where he might be cared for. And Jesus lets us know that our neighbor is anyone who has need. Now I know caring for our neighbors can be difficult We can be messy. Sometimes we can try to do good and and we might fail. But in the scriptures, trying and failing is not the sin. No, the great sin in scripture is not trying at all. Not doing anything at all. We see this in the gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is asked by his disciples, tell us what the end times are gonna be like. What's it gonna be like at the end? And so Jesus in Matthew 25 tells three parables of judgment. And the second parable of judgment is the story of the talents. There was a master who had three servants and, and he gave one servant five talents and another servant two talents and to another servant one talent. And then he went off to a faraway land trusting that his servants would know what to do with the talents. Well, in order for us to appreciate this story in the 21st century, we have to understand that one talent was worth 6,000 denarii, and one denarius was, was, was worth a full day's wage to a common laborer back then. And so even the servant who's just been given the one talent has been given over 15 years' worth of wages, an incredible amount for a master to give. He's been very gracious and generous to these servants. 
Well, the servants with the five and the two talents, immediately they go to work and they they double what they have, what they've been given. But the servant with the one talent takes his talent and he buries it in the ground. He does nothing with his master's talent. When the master returns to get an account, he he asks the the five and the two what they did and he finds out that they doubled what they were given and he, he honors them and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and enjoy your master's happiness. But to the servant who had the one talent, he offers a harsh word of judgment that we find in Matthew 25, beginning with verse 26. You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, he will be, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from one the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. That's a hard word for the person who does nothing with what God has given him. And it's consistent with what Jesus says at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. When he ends the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's real clear that according to Jesus, to simply say that Jesus is Lord and to do nothing, not to do the works of God, is unacceptable. Now, when we have true saving faith, it's, it's true that we're saved by grace through faith as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. But true faith, saving faith, always leads to action. As you read in the epistle of James, faith without deeds is dead. We are called to be people of action. We're called to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And so in our text this morning, Mordecai helps Esther see that remaining silent is not a good option. Going along, to getting along, in order to get along is not an acceptable option because she will be destroyed like the rest of the Jews. Yes, do not think to yourself, she says, or Mordecai says, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. You too will be destroyed. And God uses Mordecai to help Esther see her true calling in life. He says, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom of God, the kingdom for such a time as this. Notice that Mordecai helps Esther see the promises of God by by reminding her that even if you don't step up and and take advantage of this opportunity to make a difference, God will raise someone else to deliver the Jews because Mordecai believes in the promises of God, specifically the promise that God gave Abraham, that Abraham would be blessed to be a blessing and all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. Mordecai knows the Jews cannot be destroyed because God has promised that he would be faithful to them. But he lets Esther know, this is your opportunity. Do you not know that you're in the king's palace for such a time as this? Don't miss your opportunity. Mordecai helps Esther see, which is true for all of us, that one day we're all going to die. 
The question is, how are we going to live? Are we going to live in such a way that we seek to put our time, talents, and treasures to help do the work of God's kingdom? Do you know what God is specifically calling you to do? How you might use your time, talents, and treasure for the sake of God's kingdom? Mordecai was a spiritual mentor to Esther. Do you have a spiritual mentor in your life? Do you have someone who can speak truth and love to you to help you discern how God has uniquely gifted you and created you and, 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 and is able to listen to you and hear how God is already at work in your life and help you discover that together? Because a spiritual mentor is not someone who simply doles out advice. A spiritual mentor is someone who listens and prays with you and guides you to the promises of God's word. One of the things I'm most excited about our joining ECO is that in ECO, elders are emphasized to be shepherds of the people of God, not simply board of directors. In fact, our our, uh, session recently went through some Eli training, Elder Leadership Institute training, and this summer I gave them, every elder in our church, this book, Spiritual Mentoring by uh, Keith Anderson and Randy Reese. It's a book that helps us see how what it means to be a spiritual mentor. And if you don't have a spiritual mentor, I would encourage you to talk to a pastor or to talk to one of our elders. They're being trained on how to be a spiritual mentor. Because we can read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 4, Peter says this, So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. As you think about who you're going to nominate as an elder or deacon, think about who are the people that are helping shepherd this flock, because elders are called to be shepherds of of God's people. As Mordecai did, praying with them and listening and directing them to the promises of God. If you don't know exactly what God is calling you to do for such a time as this, if you're not clear on what God's call is in your life, pray for a spiritual mentor. Find one. Talk to one of our elders or talk to one of our pastors. We would love to mentor you in discovering God's will. But the other thing that we all must do in order to hear God speak to us is what Esther encourages the entire people of Israel to do. At the end of our text, she says, go and pray and fast. And this is a pretty severe fast. She asked them to not eat or drink for three whole days, night and day. Now, I would not encourage anyone here to do that. That would be a bad idea. I would encourage you, though, if you've never fasted before, to have a big lunch, then skip dinner, and skip breakfast, and then have another lunch. So it's a 24-hour fast. And during that time that you would normally eat at dinner or breakfast, spend time praying, meditating on God's word so that you might hear God speak more clearly to you. Because when I have fasted, my metabolism slows down. And during that time that I would normally feast on food, I'm feasting on the word of God and God speaks to me. If you want to know what God's call is for your life, the good works in Christ that has been prepared for you to do, find a spiritual mentor and spend time fasting and praying so that you might hear God's call in your life today. Knowing that we have been created for good works and apathy and inactivity is not an option. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you so much for your amazing grace, that we are saved by grace. And so out of gratitude for your grace, we want to be people who who do the good works that you've created us in Christ Jesus to do. And Lord, I pray that you might, by your spirit, continue to guide us and lead us, and that if we don't have a spiritual mentor, Lord, that you might lead us to the right person. Or maybe we need to be mentoring others. I pray that you'd help us to find people that we could mentor to help direct in your ways by listening to your word and listening to them and then praying together to discern that will together. 
And I pray that each one of us would build a rhythm of, of praying and fasting occasionally so that we might hear more clearly from you as we slow down and recognize that you are God and you've called us to a good work today. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is our savior and all God's people said.